Hello, welcome to Talking Fit. I'm Paul Rose. I'm here as ever with Luke Morgan. And today we are joined by running coach Gary House. Gary, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us today. In just two or three minutes, tell us a little bit about yourself. That's quite a long time, isn't it? Two or three minutes. Uh, yeah. Uh, now, I guess, yeah, my main role is a coach, running coach. Um, 90% of my business is online, whereas probably three years ago, 90% of my business was face-to-face. Uh, so I've kind of done it done it that way. Um, yeah, I've been, like now, it's been, it's, I've been running competitively probably over 10 years, been running for 15 years plus. Uh, yeah, so I've been, been involved in trail running and mountain running quite a long time. And, I, well, I count myself lucky that I was involved in it kind of before social media took off and everything and social media even like I'm a late adopter to it like if like when you mention Instagram like it was Facebook first I didn't eat I didn't do Instagram for a long time um things like that um and I guess again I was lucky that I already had an established business before I tr- did anything with social media whereas I've n- so so it's not really been the driver to get business, um, if that makes sense. And that also gives me a bit more freedom to kind of do what I do, I think. So, um, yeah, but I enjoy, I just enjoy, like I, I became kind of obsessed with the running and the training and the coaching and all that kind of thing. It gave me a way out of what I was doing currently um, and just worked hard at making sure I could not go back to what I was doing really. And yeah, now it's, now it's yeah, just a full-time career. So why what led you to trail and mountain running as opposed to road running? Did you start with the roads and transition or is it just a case of um, out of the middle of nowhere and went straight to the hills? Yeah, a little bit of a mixture of a few things. Like location was a big thing because I'm in North Wales. So like I have, like even where I am now, I would have to drive 15 minutes to find somewhere flat. Uh, so that plays plays a bit of a part. But the, if I was being honest, I did enter like my first race and I was shit. And coming from like a football background, I played a lot of football and our team was always pretty good. I was bang average, but my rest of my team was very good. Yeah, So I was used to kind of like winning stuff and being good. And at that age, 20, you think you're fit. So when you get your arse handed to you by like a 60-year-old with, with his drawstring hanging out of his old shorts... It's, it was quite humbling, I guess. Um, yeah, just the same as everyone else. And then, but I entered a little fell race, which was local, which was about four miles. And I seemed to do better at that. Still not very good. It was only when I did a, an ultra marathon on the trails that I finished a bit higher, higher up. And it kind of coupled with the fact of, like, I started reading books about technique and all the usual kind of the born to run side of things. And, um, and yeah, I just entered an ultramarathon for charity and finished something like seventh. So when you've been faced with finishing middle of the pack in a road race versus like seventh in an ultra, it was like an easy decision, <laughs> to be honest. Um, it was just purely ego, I think. I'm getting better at this longer stuff. And like the truth was... the it was just less people in it, I think. <laughs> it was easier to finish up there. There wasn't that many people doing them back then. I know it doesn't it doesn't sound that long ago, but yeah, it was like trying to hunt down races on the dark weather or something. You had to go in these weird forums and find an ultramarathon. So when I turned up and did okay, gave you a bit of an ego boost. 
Whereas if I ran a half marathon, I wish it would not be fast. Yeah. Even now, you're not going to get like thousands of people doing a 50 mile or a hundred mile. If you get a couple hundred people yeah. in the field, and that's a busy. Yeah, yeah. When you get a big field in an ultra marathon, it's still still not the same either because it's it's all position, isn't it? It's not time. It's too like when like the first the first time you run 10k, the first time you run a half marathon. What's the first thing that you want to do immediately when you finish is well, I need to beat that time kind of thing. And you in that either that's either a good thing for you or it's sometimes it's not as well. Yeah, I just wasn't that interested in getting faster because quite quickly I knew well I'm not going to be the fastest, but maybe I could be better at the other stuff. Yeah. In the ultras and trails, you're racing other people more, aren't you? You're, not just, yeah. you're not just racing yourself and your own your own hopes and yeah. ambitions. Or- and it allowed me just to take myself into the hills like where I lived and things like that. And I was exploring more because I, I what I'd done is I'd moved from Wales to Manchester and that was a big driver. So there's obviously no hills running around the canals and things. And then when I moved back to the area, I, I was exploring places that I'd lived for the first 20 years of my life that I'd never seen, just exploring the hills through running. And a lot of it was hiking and all that kind of stuff. But But it was still, that was way better than just pounding the pavements and the canals in Manchester. So in terms of racing, what's your kind of background there? So you mentioned you started with a couple of road ones and weren't yeah. kind, of, kind of middle of the pack and then moved into the ultras and been a bit higher up. So yeah, I, I guess I did the same as everyone else did. I just entered. I, what did I, well, the, the story I keep telling everyone is the truth. It's I was running down the canal at Man, in Manchester just because I'd moved there for work didn't have any money, but I liked to keep fit kind of thing. But I also liked to have a drink and party at the weekend. So I would be kind of playing football four times a week with the lads and stuff like that. When I moved to Manchester, I didn't know anyone, didn't have any money, couldn't join a gym because I was skint. So I just started running down the canal in a pair of like Nike Air Max with the big bubbles and things like this in my football shorts. And But I didn't have a watch or anything. I would just run because the other thing was I was in a shared house with six other guys didn't know them either so I was spending more and more times on the canal <laughs> like some weirdo just running down the canals and coming back and then I met a girl uh, that was at a friend's party she was in Leicester Uni and I was in Manchester but so we didn't really get to see each other that much so the first race I ever entered was Leicester Half Marathon um, because if I thought well, I'm going to Leicester and I just told her I've entered this half marathon and I'm going to have to stay at yours for the weekend. And that was, <laughs> was it, <laughs> which sounds a bit creepy now in, in our day and age, I guess. But <laughs> but like it was a good ending. Like now it's Charlotte. We've been married and we've been together 14 years or whatever it is, 15 years, we've got kids. So, yeah, it wasn't that creepy. <laughs> um, so that was the first race. That was, But it's the same as everyone kind of does. They might do a 10K or something like that. I did the half marathon, um, yeah, it was pretty rubbish at it, but then, right, I better do a marathon. And you just think, I need to go a little bit longer, don't you? So I did the marathon, did Edinburgh Marathon, and again, for me, I thought I'd done well, kind of thing. And it, well, I did do well, obviously, like a train followed a cut-out plan from a magazine, Runner's World, and all that kind of stuff that I talk about. Um, did the marathon, and then still didn't really know what I was doing. You're just following this plan blindly and then for charity I entered on from Marathon the same summer and uh, 
yeah, it was just someone who'd asked me to do it actually for this charity. Did it. That was London to Brighton, um, which doesn't run anymore, I don't think. The old, but but um, yeah, it was quite one of the first ultras on the scene, London to Brighton. And just did better at that than I had at the marathon. Like I said, I'd finished way higher. So all of a sudden I was like, well, I'm an ultra runner. I'm not a marathon runner or a half marathon runner. I must be an ultra runner because I was better at that. Um, yeah, and that just that just sparked something, I think. From that point, I was like, right, I want to get better. So my running was outweighing the, the drinking and stuff like this. So I was working in Manchester and it just, the two lives didn't work. So... And it just, I kind of, again, I got a little bit lucky. I got made redundant from work. So I just used that money and just plowed it into training. Took about, probably took about four or five months of just learning, going on different courses, spent some time with people. And by that time, I was already coaching people, kind of like unofficially. Um, and that took me into just working out of a gym, to be honest. And yeah, the rates of the races were just coming thick and fast. <laughs> just you're entering everything left, right and centre. Um, so I've been there when I tell people, yeah, um, kind of, you're going to want to do all these races and it might not be the best thing for you, but you can't really stop that. It was only after about, I think about a year or two, um, I kind of made a few breakthroughs in races. Um, like I won a 24-hour race that I probably had no right of winning. No, sorry, I finished second after leading for about 20 hours in a 24-hour race. And that was the first time I realised I must be okay at this longer stuff. Yeah, and then from there, I just had some better race results. So it's a bit like when you hear the fact that like you you don't choose the sport, the sport chooses you. Like people are rugby players because they're big and tall. They're not. It's not because they chose to play rugby. I couldn't be a professional rugby player, could I? Um, and it was and, it, and you can get a bit more niche with that. I think I'm just more suited to that really long stuff. And, and that's what I stuck with, to be honest. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the like the volume of races. I was thinking earlier, I think I'm sure it was you who I heard this from, actually. But elite marathon runners, you know, your Kipchoge's and Michaelis, etc. If they could, they would run a marathon every single weekend because they get a race fee for it. Yeah, but they'll do. Yeah, they'll do one or two a year because that's what how they can excel at it. Yeah. You know, they'll get their, yeah. their offers in from London, Berlin, Paris, wherever it may be, go through them with their management or whatever, weigh up the finances, whatever else they're looking at and say, right, I'm going to do this one, I'm going to do this one, and then that's it. Um, and they're cutting off, you know, potentially earning eight mm. times more than what they are uh, because they went and made the money from doing them every week, then they're not actually going to do very well and then all the sponsorship dries up and the race offers dry up and so on and so forth but like you say i've done it i still do it luke i know you've done it we you see a load of races and think i want to do that 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 and the kind of comes a point where you have to go do you know what i'm not 19 anymore my body can't do that yeah, like drinking every weekend it becomes an age where you can't go out till four o'clock in the morning every weekend anymore yeah. it comes a point where you can't go and uh, well you can and you just you've broken all the time which well, yeah. is the same as racing as well so people just stand on the start line and they're already injured on the start line from the volume of races or whatever but they, they just can't give out give up the fact that they've already entered it so they can't not run it um 
and there are people that just love collecting the medals and sort of t-shirts or whatever like that and that's just it's almost like a different thing it's like what do you want do you want to just collect like medals or do you want to get better at what you're what you're doing and most people find like a happy balance and um, we've all been there you'll get to the point where you either get like race fatigue where you're just you know you can't be bothered it doesn't excite you by traveling to a race and all that kind of thing or you're just injured something really properly injures you like stops you in your tracks kind of thing and you and you have to miss races then you kind of take a, another look at it i think the over racing thing everyone has to go through it at a point it depends how long you've been doing it for if someone's doing it for five years then that's yeah you could argue that's not a bit too far isn't it? <laughs> what's your approach from a coaching perspective when you've got clients who are over racing you just sort of let yeah. them do it do you steer in a certain direction or what a bit of both it's like it's been like this year especially it's been different again so it's obviously there's been zero races for a long time but on the other side people have had more time so they've been throwing themselves into big challenges or more challenges than they should have maybe so it's either like now i'll be quite honest with the coaching i'll give them i'll say look if if I was, this is what we probably should be doing. How much do you want to do it? What do you want to achieve by doing this, this, and this? So if I can get out of them that they're, they just really need to do it for whatever reason, then I'll, I'll say what I used to, what I say to people is look, look, I'll support it. I'm not encouraging it, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so I'll happily support them because at the end of the day, I've just got to do what the best I can with what you give me. Yeah. So if you want to do these five races in a month, then then first I just need to 100% know that you definitely want to do them and why you want to do them. And if they can convince me, then I'll help them. But sometimes I do, it's not that I try and talk them out. I'll just be honest and say, look, um, you said you wanted to do this race, which is in two months, and you, you've invested a lot of time, you've invested a lot of money into this race. What the hell are you doing jumping into this one? Yeah, And, and, then, and then it's up to them, if I'm honest. Yeah. Sometimes I'll just let them, sometimes people need to make the mistake for themselves. So I almost won't try too much because I can see that what's going to happen. They'll either burn, I don't want them to get injured, but they'll burn out or get fatigued or they just won't get what they want. And, and like people in my group will say, yeah, they, I did that. And then afterwards, I never did it again, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so it depends on the person, You can, like the coaching side of things, I guess, yeah. Some people will not listen to you and they will always race. And you either, they're happy with what, like you both, as long as you're both on the same page, that's all right. If you're not, then usually they'll leave or whatever. Um, yeah. Is over racing, is it something that you've seen increase over the, kind of the last few years as particularly trails and ultras have become more and more popular, they're more and more accessible, like as you say, few years ago you had to go on forums in the dark web to find any ultras whereas now you go on facebook instagram if you've ever googled it it's every advert is for another race and it's longer than the one before it's and then it's never come and do this easy flat 50 miles it's always our one's more extreme than the other one yeah this it probably has got it's easier to over race that, that's one thing but then again it's it's now that people are 
racing for different reasons again like when you first start like if I first started coaching someone they're usually either coaching just to get better like I want to get better or I want that kind of thing or yes I'm collecting medals essentially or all the experience of that race which is fine what you see these days is everyone a lot of people want to race maybe because they so they can post it all on social media and things like this and it's different if you're meeting up with friends and things like this um because I know lots of people that race almost every weekend, but they're almost not racing. It's just like a, a social run for them. Um, but if you're someone that wants to get better and kind of thing at it, then yeah, there is over racing is 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 too is too much of an issue to overlook, kind of thing. Yeah. So Luke and I have discussed previously, kind of two categories of runner, and you've kind of introduced a third there with the, the medal hunters that you've got those who kind of pick a, a 10k a 5k marathon whatever it is and they'll always focus on just getting faster at that distance or over kind of a couple of distances and then you've got those like you've kind of put yourself in the category of those who just keep going further and further and further until they find the distance that suits them or until they're doing you know massive fkts from the pennine way whatever it is how would you say your your group in in run strong uh, which we'll talk a little bit more about in in a minute but is it quite an even kind of split between those categories or are there more people doing one than the other i think there's more there's more there's definitely more that just do trail and ultra running to be honest um which is not, it's not by design. Like when, if you're learning about coaching and you, and you're, and my own coach and I spend time with other coaches, when we're learning about this stuff, it's not, it's, it's like the ultra marathon and trail and mountain. There's not that much that you can actually positively learn from as in like science, like the science from it and everything. It's all based around 10 K to marathon and things like this, those kind of systems. So, so you could argue that a, a very good coach, or a good coach would know more about that, yeah, like tr tr uh, like road running essentially because that's just what all the research is based on. Uh, but the, if I'm a trail or mountain runner and that's what I do and that's what I put on my social media and that's what I'm coaching and that's my own races and maybe I get some half decent results, that's just what I attract. I don't attract as many 10k half marathon marathon runners, um, and the training's not shouldn't be that different to be honest. It's just you're putting your body through the same stuff it's just a lot of the time that you're you're yeah you're chasing kind of time and effort over over the pacing and the mileage and stuff like this because it's just not as relevant because of the because of the yeah terrain um so yeah it is more trail and ultra running um if i'm honest yeah you say the training's pretty similar how about from a more of a strength training perspective with the like the train being different on on trails on mountains you perhaps need to be a little bit more three-dimensional in your approach because of you know you're far more likely to turn an ankle for example coming mm. on the trail than you are down the road do you would you approach those two differently from a strength perspective or would you just say look a road runner even if you're you're less likely to turn an angle. It's still good to have that strength and, and put it in there as well. Yeah. Um, so if you, like really, 
you could argue that like a trail and ultra runner, they can get away with it a little bit more because they, like their training does adopt some kinds of elements of strength training anyway when they're in the hills. If you've got someone that was just running on the flat all the time, then then I worry about them more. They need to do more strength training. I, everyone should be doing some sort of strength training. Yeah, and it's quite individual. Um, but if that if you're a road runner in just one plane of motion all the time, then then it's it's usually those people that need to be taken out and yeah and and do more kind of maybe it's footwork, maybe it's ankle flexibility, whatever it is. Um, but it's again like you'll see it, it's the same with the diets, it's the same with training, it's the same with kit. People will focus on small little movements that they might see on an Instagram post and they overlook just the basics of the strength training. It's just, first question, people don't usually ask this question, but it's like, what strength training are you doing right now? And what have you done in the past? If they don't do, if they don't know how to squat, deadlift, some hip thrust and some calf raises or something like that, then that's where the, everyone starts, I think. Um, and just keeping it really simple so they can do it. But strength training is only, it's only something that I hammer home because I was, came from a, from a gym environment. Um, that's what I coached out of, first of all. I've been injured enough times to know the only way to kind of, the one common denominator is if you, if you stick with your strength training, you're less likely to be injured. You will always get injured. Um, kind of thing you can't avoid it but coming back from injury it just yeah there's an outside of running like you, you guys will know strength training isn't for me it's not it's so that I can run when I'm 60 70 80 and I'm not and, and I'm not kind of chair bound then really strength training um it's not just so I can run a little bit quicker up the hill or be a bit more resilient on the trails that kind of thing I think something you're very vocal about is you often see in your Q and A's and things, people saying, Oh, what stretch should I do for this? What stretch should I do for that? And, and I know Luke um, is very much the same opinion from a, from a therapy background. It's look at the strength side of it rather than, okay, you've, you've got an Achilles problem, stretch it away. You're not going to stretch it away. You need to build up the strength, go to the source of why it's, um, why you're yeah. having an issue in the first place. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And the thing is, if I say to see someone, like people get offended by the fact that I'm not a big fan of stretching, yeah, or I'm not a big fan of foam rollers and stuff like this. And it's, and I don't understand why they should be offended by it. It's just because they've been hammered with it. And then obviously they've been doing it lots, maybe, or they, well, they're not doing it lots. That's the thing. Like, I don't know many people that have a foam roller and they religiously use it 15, 20 minutes every day. Yeah. So it's usually stuck under, a sofa or behind the cabinet but if I tell them it's okay not to use it then all of a sudden they get they get all angry about it <laughs> so and then like sometimes people mistake me for either just attacking certain things but it's like but it, the answer is like like you said it's like well either if you're not using it you're not using it it's almost not an argument but I'm telling you you're, you could be better using your time doing doing this um yeah and I try not to take them down the black hole of like any of the science behind it unless they really push it to be honest because it's almost up to them to prove me that prove me that it does work i don't have to prove that it doesn't work i can prove why this strength stuff works and things like this um yeah i think it's good to look at the research alone I mean, yeah yeah look at the research alone um you can look at research for a few things we've talked about like 
with this specifically, you mentioned people who phone user phone rollers get offended or whatever, but those who I find that do use their phone rollers 20, 30 minutes a day, they are doing the strength stuff as well. Yeah, They're yeah. using it as an additional add-on. Yeah. Whereas people who, you know, you could argue whether it does work or it doesn't work, you're right, they've probably dabbled in it at most. And another thing with research, you mentioned the, a lot more research has been done in the road running sort of scene rather than ultra yeah. stuff. And the truth is, it's just a lot easier to research things like that. You could do road running research on treadmills and things like that. Shorter distances, you can do different protocols where you get them to repeat the original test and so on. Yeah. Go and get somebody to repeat an ultramarathon. Yeah. Under the same conditions, you can't, can you? Uh, yeah. Ranges. So I suppose you just take little bits off what works and what doesn't. And like you're only training bodies like you're training energy systems at the end of the day whether you're on a hill or on your flat or whatever so it's like i'm in this little group of coaches that we all kind of work together and share we share papers and things like this together and it's quite interesting so there's there's like two high level man, uh, marathon coaches in this little whatsapp group that i'm in and, and, and they're like coaching like gb athletes and stuff and then there's um and then the rest of us are kind of trail and ultra and marathon there's only like six of us but so it's always interesting. So we'll share a paper and then, and then the two marathon guys, they'll be, they'll be way like ahead of us on the research in this because it's all in room. Then it's kind of our job. Or it's like, I'll just say, well, how does that equate to someone in a mountain for 12 hours kind of thing? And then that's quite interesting how you discuss that part because like you said, the research isn't there. It, it boils down like there's not much money in it, but there's more money in mode running. Um, usually driven by like uh, the nutrition companies and kit companies and all that kind of stuff. So there is, there is science there. And although I say I, I might not use heart rate and things as a training tool all the time, but, but yeah, there's, there's definitely science out there to back this stuff up. It's not like if I'm telling you one thing, it's not because I just don't like foam rollers or I don't like, um, yeah, <laughs> other forms of training, whatever it is. So your, your company runs strong. You say you started off in a gym. Just kind of tell us about how you've kind of transitioned from the gym and personal training to running coaching face to face and then into the more online. And then tell us a little bit about Run Strong generally. Yeah, um, I did, almost didn't know what I was going to do when I, when I was just doing the, the learning part initially because I was, I was running and people were coming to me. I think I've done well in one particular race and then people were asking me for some coaching plans and I just had to say no, no basically. I've just been, I, don't, I wouldn't know how to coach you. I've just been literally running to work and running back a lot. <laughs> so, so I didn't know how to coach back then. Um, but then what I was helping people with is just, yeah, in the gym and stuff, I was lucky that where, like a friend of mine got me in the gym and was teaching me some basic stuff. And then I ended up being two or three of us doing these little gym sessions. And then I was like, this is quite a good environment to basically work in. Like I'm a nine stone runner. Um, and it was like an old school, almost like bodybuilding gym kind of thing. You know, like a private like kind of gym. Um, so yeah, if you were, if you were into running at all, people were coming to me once I started working there. And if you were, and there was me and a, semi-professional rugby player so if you if you want to get big go with Rob if you wanted to run come with me um so I was working out of there for a friend but but doing the training like learning myself and then when I moved back to the area 
like North Wales. I went straight into a gym. It was probably a bit of a mistake. So I went into a, uh, like a DW fitness gym, completely different environment from what I'm used to. Should be better because they're more kind of like, you know, the typical weight loss or just want to want to run off their weight, that kind of thing. So it wasn't that the clients were there. It's just, um, it was just pretty difficult. It was a different, different demographic that I was used to. What I was trying to coach was, I'd been on the, all these kind of movement courses by now. I'd been on, worked with Vivo Barefoot, working on barefoot movement, all this kind of stuff. And then, try, and then trying to teach that to runners that were in the gym, club runners usually, they just didn't want to know. They didn't want to listen. Um, and they're still early 20s then. So a nine stone early 20s lad trying to ask them, tell them that they're running wrong, basically, didn't work. <laughs> so... But what did work was using the same kind of methods and what I knew about running technique and things like that by now. And I just applied that to complete beginners. Um, And it's the typical, you'd call them the weight loss crowd, like 30 and above. They were mainly women at that point. And they just wanted to lose weight. Um, And I started a running club with a gym. uh, And it kind of went from there, to be honest. But I always knew, I had someone, again, the guy who coped, like did took me through the personal training course, typical like three month thing going every day. He back then it was, it was way more than ten years ago. It was just as Facebook advertising started. He taught me about that from day one, um, and that's what changed. Well, that's what allowed me to kind of grow a business, to be honest. And so I was doing that from day one, working with the gym. But I always knew I need to take this outside. So then, as soon, so when I had like a healthy amount of clients. I just took those clients, took them outside and grew essentially like a local running club. We had up to 200 members. And my problem was always not every running club, but a lot of running clubs just don't cater for those people or they do, but they just do it in a way that doesn't look after them properly. Yeah. So their version of a beginner's run might be just less miles. So intermediate is five, like seven miles. Beginners is three miles but then they just run those three miles quicker. So they still get left behind. Um, I'd been to two clubs locally because I moved back to the area. Nobody had spoken to me in about four sessions, that kind of thing. So I was like, if that's happening to me, this must be happening to more. So I just made it as like the first session every Monday, we didn't do any running. It was just technique and movement stuff. So if you came, you could only join on a Monday if you were new. So that meant that there was no running, all the pressure was off. And then every running session that we did, I was at the back and, and I was at the back with whoever was at the back. I think just small things like this. So we had 200 paying members and the local running club had 100 members where it was free. And obviously they didn't like me <laughs> very much, but that, like, that just reinforced the fact that, that, that they were doing, not catering for them. It's not that they were doing it wrong, maybe, but if it's run by volunteers versus someone who I can do it full time, um, it's different, isn't it? Um, to be honest. So we took that and I was, that was kind of getting busier and busier and I was working one-to-one people and it was, but then you work a few winters and especially up here, it's like, it's quite, it's quite cold. <laughs> like there's days where it's minus six for like six hours, the only bits of daylight and the people come and see a one-to-one hour. Even you could, I could tell sometimes they didn't want to be there. <laughs> and being honest, one-to-one, um, although it was busy, 
one-to-one and I just thought it's like it's almost it's not the best way of working running coaching come and see me for an hour I'm not going to change much so, so I just chucked, chucked them all in a little private Facebook group and that's what changed it that's what changed it into Run Strong um, so they did the sessions together then uh, and then I enjoyed coaching the group rather than the one-to-one they enjoyed it it's the whole power of the group thing and, it, and it, again it the outdoor thing just morphed into that from the outdoor thing. And again, some of my results, people are asking me for coaching. Um, and I must've told about the first 10 people that no, I'm, I'm not, a co- I'm not a coach. I don't coach people with plans, but then I did help people. I'd learned enough by now. Like we fast forward quite a few years now. I've had a coach for like 10 years, this kind of thing. Um, and I just made sure that I kind of, cause I, I was always scared of, I don't think people are scared of running, being a running coach anymore, but I think back, at least I was scared. It's quite a lot of responsibility. It's different just taking them for a run, showing them technique, movement, some strength movements, things like this, and then leaving them to it, actually telling them what to do week by week. To me back then was really scary because you know, it was like for two or three people. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just grew and it, and, it, and it kind of, everyone that did a little bit better and everyone that made progress reinforced the fact that, okay, I can do this. And it wasn't by design. It was just that that many people wanted coaching from outside the area that it kind of, I thought, right, well, I can maybe spend some more time indoors. And then, and then the balance tipped and it tipped probably in time, just well in time enough for this year to make, and it was, and it was online rather than, if it if, if this this year had happened two years ago, then I'd have been in the same position as anyone else. I was an outdoor coach, um, kind of thing. Yeah. Was that three years from face to face to being predominantly online or fully online? Uh, no, I was I was face to face for like probably about seven years, as in working out of gyms for a couple of years. Then I took it outdoors. It was essentially a big group for a couple of years, but probably. It was it's two years from the first time I gave someone a, a you know, like a coaching plan. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, and it was like literally the first time I did that. It was someone that came to my group, and I and I'd handwritten the plan. Like I've got a lot better on computers now, but I'd handwritten it. Yeah, it was just, like there, there's still people in the group that laugh at me because I used to come with my coaching pad, and it would be the session written down and things like that. Like, so so yeah. Then it's and and then. Yeah, just on Word documents, basically. <laughs> and that's and that's how it always worked. But then my coach, he always just gave me a PDF. So I didn't really, it's only recently that, well, now I've gone to like an, an app kind of thing. Um, I think yeah. that's just like fitness in general. You, you don't want to spend your time on computers. You want to spend your time doing stuff. And I mm. for me... I like to write things down rather than... Yeah, me too. Like if I'm thinking... Yeah. Whole, I've just got papers that have written yeah. everything down. Yeah. yeah, if I'm thinking up a session plan or something, I'm sitting there with a pen and paper, writing something down, scribbling it out. I don't want to sit there yeah. typing and, I don't know, just something about it. I'm just old-fashioned. But. No. Well, it's, it's still definitely value in writing stuff down, whether you're journaling or setting up your own session or writing down what you did in the gym, that kind of thing. Like, you two will know. How often do people track what they do in the gym yeah that was one of the things that were taught to me quite early on and I'm not I'm not a weightlifter or anything like that but if I went to the gym when when I was going to a gym like the physical gym rather than just in my garage yeah I'd I'd take my note 
Paddon just writes it down afterwards, kind of thing. Oh, I'd at least write down what I was going to do. Um, yeah, it's writing stuff down for me is, is how I work, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I'm only just trans transitioning to this whole online thing. Paper's yeah. just a lot easier for GDPR. Like, who's going <laughs> to get away? It's fine. Don't worry about GDPR yeah. stuff. Yeah, I found in the garage a load of the old um, parkues from like when I was back. In the, I don't even know if you need parkues anymore because it's. But um, were they older than seven years? Get rid of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some of them were. Yeah, and I was looking through some of the names and I was thinking, Christ, I couldn't stand that person. <laughs> what a knobhead that was, and all this kind of thing. Because it's just working with anyone and everyone by then. Whereas I can, yeah, it, like like business kind of thing. It, I make it sound like it's just kind of it's just morphed its way but like I've had a business coach all the way through it um, from a friend of a friend and he coaches business and and mindset and stuff like that so that self-development side like over the years has been a massive part like I didn't know anything about business or anything like that all I knew is knocking on doors and handing out flyers was getting me nowhere um so yeah, so that's so he was always the driver behind the actual business side of things. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. So the, the club now you've got over two hundred people online with it. Two thirty, two forty, I think. Last time I kind of went, oh, I wonder how many people are in here. Yeah, so some of them are like from the old, from my old local group that I like. The local group that I run now is I literally just volunteer once a week because I just couldn't keep them both, and I said, look. I'll just run with you once a week, coach you, and it's and they, and they don't pay anything. So that so that but there is about between 190 and 200, um, yeah, basically paying members in the group. Yeah, so there is a massive kind of variance between the kind of people that are posting in there as well. Though it's not all people going like you've got um, I can't remember his name now, Rob, who did the FKT. Yeah, his Dyke. So yeah, like self-supported Doctor's yeah. Dyke. Yeah. But then you've got other people who are going, oh, great, I've just run my first 10K today. And it's yeah. going from first 10K to an FKT on 200-odd mile course is a massive, massive variance. Yeah. But I think it's – I like to have those kind of mixed ability groups because yeah. the the people at the higher level, if you like, kind of give people at the lower level to aspire something to aspire to, you know, someone they might not ever want to reach that level but it just lets them know that it is possible but at the other end of it the people at the top kind of sometimes you just need something to keep you a little bit more humble and something to go oh yeah i remember when i was doing that yeah. um, and yes it works well yeah it's well i think that's just if you have that wide range of people that almost gives me confidence <laughs> being honest it just gives me some confidence that I know what I'm doing because I can coach that person just as well as I can coach someone a lot further down the line plus the fact that they, they you can all be in the same group and you can all celebrate each other's wins whether it's I've just ran a mile today or I've just ran a hundred miles that's when I, that's what I'm most pleased about with kind of thing if I just coach people that if I just coach 10k runners that wanted to get fast it's a very competitive kind of environment to be in. And yes, you probably need that to be the best 10K runner that you will ever be. Um, but that's just not what I coach. Um, yeah, so if 
it's and it goes back to when I like I still remember some it, sometimes people coaching them and they would pass it'd be the lamppost that they pass for their first mile without having to walk kind of thing and and I'd have to remind them as like you've just ran a mile kind of thing and then and then seeing their face and all that kind of thing moving on to online that's what I didn't want to lose I didn't want to lose being with those kind of people and it still it still frustrates me a little bit that out of all the 200 people I don't get to meet everyone quite a lot so that's why I try and show my face as much as I can in the group and things like that and it's not that everyone has to be in the group all the time but but I just think I just think that that's how I work I like to get the feedback of people as well um yeah so like and there's all wide ranging there's people that know a lot more about different subjects and things like me like I've seen you throw a kettlebell round and stuff like this like if I can show people and tell people how to use a kettlebell but at the same time we've got people in the group that know way more than me about different subjects in the same area and that's what I like as well um and I'll, I've got no problems with saying like I'll just tag someone in and say like Stu the physio ask Stu kind of thing like I can get I'm giving out advice but then I've got physios in my group kind of thing so it's like yeah I can give you this advice but here's Stu or whatever um yeah I have an versatility as well isn't it because in any sport not just in running but there's probably quite a few people who work just with a niche selection of people yeah it may be very well they may be very good in that selection yeah as soon as you get them to work with a different population it just all falls falls apart yeah yeah i think there's different kinds of coaches i guess isn't there there's like like i like seeing when people are making progress but i like seeing but i also like hearing the stories when people have just had a better week at work or something like that because of the training um like the racing and the results and stuff is great but but yeah, even I just like, I like stories. So if someone tells me that if they have the confidence to tell me, look, I haven't done the plan for a month, but I did this, this and this and this, and it was great. And I feel good and all that kind of thing. Then that, then that's fine. It's not, I'm not that much of a, there are some people need a coach, I guess, just to like text them every five minutes. Have you done this session? You did this session wrong and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's just not quite the way I work which is just it's different I guess and then like you said it gives it allows me to enjoy a wider range of people coming to me then yeah yeah I know for me when I started out with personal training I was like right I'm going to work with Olympians I'm going to work with professional athletes and I think (laughs) well first of all you don't realize how few and far between Olympians and like elite athletes actually are and then like you say it's really boring when I have done that they don't want to pay for your service either yeah (laughs) but you've got someone else saying oh no we don't want them doing that just just show them this bit and you just end up doing this really dull basic stuff all the time and it's so much more interesting in my opinion working with normal people and seeing them just improve and grow into themselves and do things they perhaps didn't realize or didn't believe they could do and see the the mindset change as well whereas you're working with an olympian their mindset is very much set from the start it's yeah it's just it's just a different it's almost a different job role isn't it like you i remember like you have this like you'll have you'll have days where it'll be you know like that that slot at like half five or six o'clock when people are coming to you straight after work or whatever and you've got a plan for them in the gym 
and quite quickly you can read that they've had a really shit day or whatever and they're really stressed and you almost don't do anything of what you did and they unload on you and then but you can tell afterwards that they feel like loads better yeah and or you've given them a session that was maybe a little bit more fun less stressful than usual that kind of thing and and they and they talk and talk and talk and talk and it's you're like a therapy session for an hour like some of those sessions i used to i used to really enjoy um and, so, and then you get to, and then longevity with a client is everything. Like again, like would like even if you look at science and stuff, it, you could. It doesn't really matter what sessions you give someone if they stayed with you for a longer period of time. That's when you can see some tangible result. So it was always like, how can I keep people? Not how can I keep people? How can I keep keep people's adherence to just something being consistent? And and that was whether it's the diet, whether it's the the work in the gym whether it's the training um so like you you working in that in that gym environment like you said i think that's way more rewarding well it is for me when you the person that came to you and couldn't lift up a kettlebell and then they're doing sequences with a kettlebell or something that's because you two have worked on it bit by bit um yeah yeah absolutely um yeah it's interesting you you mentioned the kind of therapy side of it i remember doing the PT courses years ago and they were like what are the roles of a personal trainer and one of them on there was counsellor I was like nonsense why would a personal trainer be a counsellor and then a few years in you realise that that's probably the biggest part of your job in a lot of ways because you do just people tell you things and you think should you be telling me this yeah. um, but they've all just like you say they'll come in that slot after work they'll be stressed out from work and just unload and talk and sometimes that's just what people need the exercise is just kind of a becomes more of a mental boost than a take them towards their their longer term goals yeah i sometimes have my best sessions with people who are frustrated that things aren't healing very well um so they'll come in three four weeks sometimes five six weeks after an injury just isn't going away and i can tell from the moment they walk through the door that they're a little bit pissed off with me yeah <laughs> and sometimes I'll get more out of that session yeah. between us because they're actually dealing with that confrontation side of things. Yeah. They've probably been questioning for a few weeks. Why isn't this working? Why isn't this working? And then because they're frustrated, they're more open about what they're really doing. Yeah. And they give you, they give you the detail that they just never, they never did no matter how much I asked them week one and two. Yeah. And quite often I'll get a message a few days later, like, I've been doing this. Thanks for the sort of either kick up the arse or, you know, thanks for the, the encouragement, whatever it is. But um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to be had with those frustrating sessions. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're, I guess it's like, like for you, especially it's like, like when, <laughs> if you work in a bank or whatever, like you, you only see people when they're broken, don't you? It's like you, nobody rings the bank to tell them they're doing a good job kind of thing. <laughs> so nobody's like you, nobody's ringing you straight away like uh, or ringing Paul like uh, I need some PT sessions to basically show how good you are it's like it's because they're overweight and they're knackered and, they're, and all this kind of thing so yeah they're going to be frustrated because outside they're reading in Runner's World that if I do these three things for three minutes a day then that'll, that'll, that'll be my Achilles fixed or something <laughs> Yeah. And if I do it twice over two week period, then then that's it. That's fine. 
Yeah. How yeah. to run a four minute mile in six weeks, how to get a six pack in eight weeks. And it's like, hang on a minute. What's just, yeah. what's, you're taking Kipchoge. He could run a four minute mile before he did this. Yeah. It's not that like, and in running, like it's not just hard work. It's like, it's not the hardest work in person. That doesn't make sense. It's like, if you look at triathletes, they're training 25, 30 hours a week, aren't they? Compared to a runner, you can't stress that much on a runner so it's not just that but it's again it's being lost a little bit you just people take little nuggets of everything and and just try and do that instead of actually like they just hear what they want whether it's i guess you in the gym or luke or me sometimes people just hear what they want to hear and do that bit um rather than follow through with everything which kind of brings me on quite nicely you you mentioned earlier born to run and obviously the thing that Born to Run is famous for is everyone suddenly deciding they need to run in barefoot or in like Vibrams or in Vivos and all that kind of stuff. I've never really seen you talk much about barefoot stuff. I know you talk about using it for strength training and for walking, not so much for running. Just kind of give us a kind of a bit of a, tell us a bit about your your view on kind of barefoot training, barefoot running. Mm. So when probably like everyone, I kind of read that book and enjoyed it. Yeah. And it was almost like, well, okay. Cause again, I'm running around to me <laughs> quite forward thinking, I guess I'm a big fat Nikes um, back then. And then I upgraded to a pair of Asics and things like this. Uh, but and it kind of, it makes sense to you at the time. Yeah. It's like an epiphany. Like, oh my God, all these Tarantamanas are running X amount of distances and not eating and all this kind of thing. So, so yeah, it, like just through reading the book, then it threw me down, threw me down that way of just researching it a little bit more. I wasn't researching it like a scientist. I was like, as in going out running and trying shorter, quicker strides, that kind of thing. Yeah. And yes, it can make, it does make a difference if, but only if you're really horrible at running, which I probably was from a football background, if that makes sense. It's not like, um, what I quickly realised is the, if you just give your body a chance to be a runner, it will learn how to run. Yeah. But if you just take the standpoint of I need to do this method, then it doesn't give your body a chance to learn how to run almost. If you're starting from basically scratch or you haven't done it since you were a kid. Um, the things that made sense to me were like, if you, if you, if you go to a, wait there, if you go to a schoolyard and watch the kids playing, yeah, then they can all run. Yeah, you don't have to. I don't have to teach my four-year-old how to run and things like this. So we could, every single one of us could run perfectly well. And then the thing I liked was learning more about right. Okay, so it's once we're in schools and we sit in our chairs and we're forced into these jobs and offices and all this kind of stuff. It was that that interested me, not the barefoot stuff, if I'm honest. Um, which then led me to do some just coaching courses with Vivo Barefoot at the time. And then I went to work with Lee Saxby, who was the guy who kind of ended up fixing the guy who wrote Born to Run, um, that kind of thing. So, so I did spend like two years and I was down in London, like running some workshops for them and things like this. But again, it was coaching. You're not coaching just, if you just take, if you're a shit runner and you just take your shoes off, then you'll still be a shit runner. You'll just be a shit runner with no protection then. Yeah. <laughs> but it's almost like these shoes 
but then the other thing is, you, like, you won't see me on social media banging on about it. I, I live in my Vivo barefoot, yeah, and kind of thing, outside of running. Then I can do. I don't have to go to an office and this, that, and the other. Um, and I know the value, or well, I think there's a massive value in being barefoot, properly barefoot as much as you can. But then if I was to go running and show it on Instagram, then everyone's going to go running. It's like, although it's a small following, it's still a responsibility. What makes me look like... Um, one of these barefoot kinds of zealots, which I'm not. I just like, I like the feeling of being barefoot and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it was more the, the teaching people how to get away from, yeah, the shoes and how chairs have basically changed the way that we move and stuff. Um, so yeah, my view of it is, is that really? Um, it's just, it's, it's not to do with the running for me. Running is such a small, small part of someone's week that, yes, if you want to wear them, then you've just got to be very, very careful. And it's almost like back then when it's, there was a big barefoot boom, it's like everyone needed to do a, everyone needs to do a week-long course on barefoot running before they wear these shoes. That's what I would tell people, <laughs> or at least a day-long course. Um, yeah, it's just... Um, yeah, that's basically my idea, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, just before we wrap up, obviously this year has been, well, as you know, as, as an online coach this year, it hasn't been a bit of a write-off um, in terms of kind of racing and things it has. But going forwards into 2021, what are your kind of goals, both in terms of your your own running and racing and kind of for, for Run Strong? Yeah, I guess it's a bit of a repeat of this year, probably, with things that have just been moved to next year. So this year I was meant to do stuff like um, in France, the Mont Blanc 90K and the TDS at UTMB week, things like this. Um, and they've just been moved a year. So I've just got to go with that, to be honest. I'm training for a marathon right now, which I just try to do something different over winter. Um, it's a good chance to do it. Training time is less. The volume goes up in mileage and stuff, but training time is less. So uh, through the winter, that works quite well. Um, yeah, so I'm just hope. I think things will go ahead to a point. I can't see many big city marathons like we know them going ahead, but then selfishly, I'm not a marathon runner. So, so yeah, I hope things start going ahead for other people. Like, like look, going back to the club, what I've learned this year is that a lot of people do need those races just as like almost like an anchor to keep the goals going along as much as we try to give ourselves personal goals or whatever. Some people that just love the races. That is what they need. Um, so yeah, from that point of view, I hope they get back as soon as possible. The, I learned a lot about kind of like, I've done like I've touched on, I've done the, all these years of like the self-development side of things, but I've never really pushed it on people like you call it mindset or whatever you want, but um, I've enjoyed coaching that part of stuff in the group and being a bit more confident with that and just pushing that a little bit more in the group, I think, next year. Um, I don't want 400 people. Like like you'll know, it's like it, that's this is like the limit of what I, what I want to work with. So it's kind of one out, one in kind of thing. Um, yeah, couldn't I couldn't do double the amount of workload or I'd have to do half the service to everyone that's in there so that's pretty it for now and it did, and then but that allows me more freedom to try different stuff with the group yeah cool. uh, Luke anything to add 
don't think there is. I could probably go on for quite a bit, but I know we're quite restricted on time. Yeah, we've covered, we've covered a lot of things I wanted to. I've listened to a few of your podcasts as well, Gary. So some yeah. of the questions I'm going to ask you, I already know the answer. To. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a problem. Um, no, it's nice to see your philosophies um, and the self-development side of things as well. Because I'm, yeah. I'm quite strong-minded with the self-development side of things as well. I don't, I don't push it on people either. But no, it's not. It, you've got to. Like I'm not. I don't want to. It's too easy to start calling yourself a bloody mindset coach or a, a life coach, doesn't it? It's just like, look, here there's some things that I've done over the years. Can, why don't you try that? You don't have to call it anything, do you? That's why I almost hate calling myself a running coach these days. It's like I'm sure like you might have it with personal trainer. I remember when I was a personal trainer, when everyone was a bloody personal trainer, I changed it to just coach because <laughs> I didn't want. It's like it's it's ridiculous, really. But I didn't want to be lumped in with all the bad personal trainers. A few years ago, I started calling myself a fitness coach, and then every personal trainer started calling himself a coach. So I'm back yeah. to trainer now. Yeah, and it doesn't matter what you call yeah. yourself, to be honest. That's you just, just want to be different. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's just like well, he's a they're a running coach, and I know for a fact that that they know nothing. So it's like it's kind of yeah, um, but it's not. Yeah, so the self-development thing, especially this year, I think people are, yeah, pe- people are more open to it. That's the biggest thing. Um, if I'm not as, I'm not as scared of putting something in the group, um, because just more people are open to it. I think, yeah. And, and it's not that you're saying you've got the answers to everything. Someone else might come. Yeah, back not at all. That. It's just something which works for yourself. I've started feeding a little bit of it into social media. Yeah, but in very small traps, mainly yeah. because social media for me is in small traps. <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny. Like, like it. People ask me this. It looks like I'm say on Instagram all the time when I'm 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 really not. I just have set times when I'm on it, and then I'll be hammer it for like a set, set amount of time, and then it's not on. If that makes sense. But like you say about the self development thing. Like, if I put something on Instagram about running or about strength work or anything like that, then. If someone doesn't agree with it, that's fine. I know I can back it up, but it doesn't mean that I'm always right for a start. But at least I can, you know, like fight my corner if that whole yeah. discussion about it. And it's kind of the same with the self-development stuff. What I have noticed is though that if I put something up, like you said, in this, that's even down that line, people start rather than publicly asking you about it, they'll send you a private message. And quite a lot, it's quite weird that they're almost they're almost dismissing what you're saying or saying you shouldn't be using that language or saying you shouldn't be doing this. And they almost, and sometimes you think, well, you're doing exactly what, what you're telling me not to do. It's like, at least I'm publicly giving some, some advice out and what you do with it is I don't really care kind of thing. It's really oh, I, I thought you were going to say they, they sort of confide in you and they private message you to say, well, that's, like, luckily for me, like, I get quite a lot of messages and that's what kind of spurs me on to do it more. They'll say, that really helped. Or I tried this and that really helped. Whether they're, they're not in my group or whatever. I listened to that podcast and, and I enjoyed it because of this, this and this. Yeah. So I might put something else out there. But then touching on it, like recently, some people will say, you can't talk like this because you're not this or something like that. Busy bodies. Yeah, basically. And it's like, well, and... They, you don't know what who you're talking to. Not, not in that way, but 
you could have been working in that area for 20 years for that person knows yeah um i just find it strange when it comes to that people are really quickly want to jump on people anything you're, you're literally just giving out some personal experience more than anything it's not come and do my mindset course it's <laughs> it's like here's my personal experience maybe this will help um, and on just to finish up on the self-development side is there any do you, are you much of a reader are you reading any books in a minute um i can't yeah i was gonna say i can't read them. <laughs> um i listen to them a lot more yeah okay. um People always ask me about running books, and I'm really bad for them because I just think they're all pretty shit, uh, kind of thing. As in, yeah, just how-to books. If that makes sense. There's a handful yeah. that I like. Um, well, it, yeah, from like therapy stuff. That you probably know what I'm saying, but so yeah. anything you're listening to at the minute? Yeah, I listen to I listen to th- uh, like fiction books at the minute. Um, just because I spend so much time running usually, like I'm working in front of the computer, I'm either researching or learning, or when I'm working, I'll listen to some kind of scientific podcast about running maybe. And then when I'm running, I don't want to listen to that. Um, Yeah, so it was, what was it about the spy, the spy one that's recently come out, spies in the second world war or something like that. Um, So I quite like fiction books or like, um, yeah autobiographies that kind of thing um yeah the the last book that if i like i say to this the last book that kind of i give tell everyone to read is just that james clear book atomic habits i know it's kind of if you're in this industry most people know about it but if you're not in industry you might not know about it um because i'm big on habits like if i didn't have my little habits i'd be off the rails and like i was when i was a 20 year old so atomic habits allows like struck struck kind of a lot of chords with me yeah that's a good one yeah and uh yeah thanks for coming on where can people go to find out more about you more about the club see some of your your ranting and yeah uh yeah instagram i guess uh gary house underscore the the website is www.therunstrongclub.com yeah that's about it really uh Facebook and Instagram. Cool. Luke, same question. Yeah, so zen underscore anatomy on Instagram and zenanatomy.co.uk. Cool. And I'm PT across the board, poorospt.com. And you can find the most inactive Instagram account in the world for the podcast with um, at talkingfitpod. So inactive, I couldn't even remember what it is. Uh, Thanks very much for tuning in. Um, Thanks very much for joining us. And we will speak to you very, very soon. Goodbye.